Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Monsignor? Thank you, Teresa. We are in show number 28. Uh-huh. Last week we left off with quite the cliffhanger. <laughs> We've... Uh, Practically, uh, hand, they've handed Sansal peace to us here in the United States. I know, I know. It's wow. just incredible. And then Bishop Carroll at first going, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> yeah. and, and then coming to a negotiated settlement. Father Emery, who is orchestrating all of this, is absolutely desperate. He's got to get his priests out of France. Yes. You know, if, if they don't, so many are going to be martyred, and so many of them were. You know, the, the French Revolution was a horrible, horrible experience for Catholics. And, and so Father Emery understood that. He he stays there the whole time. Does he? He does. He is one heck of a guy. He survives all the radical French Revolution, even stands up to Napoleon himself, and yet you know, survives through the whole thing. He's quite a guy. So the agreement is going to be that the Sulpicians, that the Sulpicians will send over uh, priests, that some of them, a few of them will go to the West and, okay. and act as missionaries there. Others are going to establish a seminary in Baltimore itself. What happens is that as they're getting ready to leave, Bishop Carroll gets back to the United States, and then he sends a letter back to Father Emery saying, oh, by the way, I want to add the missions and Kaskaskia and Vincennes also. So the letter then is sent to Paris, but by the time it arrives in Paris, the Sulpicians are already on the boat to America. <laughs> okay. Well, Father Emery has decided that in this first wave that he's going to send, he's going to send his absolutely the best, the very best. And so in that first wave is going to be Father Charles Najo, who had gone to England to negotiate with Bishop Carroll to begin with. He was the superior of the Sulpicians. He held a doctorate from the University of Nantes. There are not a lot of PhDs in America at this time. Here he is, doctorate, seminary professor, had been rector of three different seminaries. He was the author of a biography of Jacques Collier, which did not get published because of the revolution. He was just an incredible individual. He's going to be coming over. Father Antoine Garnier is going to come also. He is one of the leading professors of the sacred languages, uh, Greek, Latin, Hebrew, in all of France. He teaches at the Collège de France. Uh, another is going to be uh, Father Jean-Marie Tessier, who is a professor of theology. At the seminary itself, he had been acting as the econome, so he's basically the administrator in charge of those things. He's going to be coming to America. Uh, another, Father Michel Levado, who is also a professor, had been the rector of the seminary at Bourges, uh, ultimately, he's going to go to Cahokia and then to Detroit a little bit later on. We'll follow the exploits of these men. In that same group, there are going to be five seminarians who are going to be sent over to America. They all arrive on October 3rd of 1791, and they're going to set up then St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore. I know it's the oldest Catholic school of theology in the United States. I'd have to check and see whether or not it's older than Harvard School of Divinity. I don't okay. know that offhand. Okay. I'll check and let you know a little bit later on. When they first arrive, the Sulpicians also offer classes, not only in the seminary there, but also offer classes in French, 
and in mathematics in order to supplement their income. And so they're going to have mixed groups, uh, Protestants as well as Catholic, attending those classes. The prestige of the faculty is just going to blow, uh, just explode the prestige of the Catholic Church in the United States, especially in the Baltimore area. Yeah. You know, these are just world-class individuals. Interestingly enough, it's not going to hurt Georgetown Academy. In fact, at one point, one of the seminarians who becomes very fluent in English very rapidly is actually going to go, as a seminarian, Sulpician seminarian, is going to go to Georgetown to teach literature there, oh, English, wow. English literature. In March of 1792, things are getting worse and worse over in France. It's not as bad as it's going to be in 1793. It's really the terrible time. But things are getting worse and worse. And so now Father Emery sends a second batch of Sulpicians to America. And many of these are going to really play a prominent role in American Catholic history. One of those is Father Stephen T. Badin. He's going to be sent immediately to Kentucky. Okay. And he'll spend most of his life there in Kentucky, a really remarkable missionary. There are not a lot of Catholics in Kentucky, a lot of anti-Catholics, and mm -hmm. he's going to do an awful lot to build a, a better rapport there. Another is Father Benedict Flaget. He'll eventually be the first bishop of Bardstown okay. and also have a very significant role in helping to set up uh, the the sea here in St. Louis, of the diocesan sea. We'll talk about that later on. Another is Father Ambrose Marachal. He'll ultimately end up being the Archbishop of Baltimore. And then another that we should not forget is Gabriel Richard. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be the founder of the first Catholic newspaper in America. He is going to help to establish the state of Michigan. He'll serve in Congress and also be one of the founding trustees of the University of Michigan. This is an impressive group, too. Yeah. With that many Sulpicians now in America, uh, they were having a hard time financially. And so Bishop Carroll was true to his word. What he did was he turned over Bohemia Manor to them. Not Didn't give it to them, but gave it to them to administrate. And all the profits that would come from Bohemia Manor then would go to the Sulpicians to help to support them. Also arriving around this time is another Sulpician emigre. Uh, his name is William Valentine Dubourg. Interesting individual. He had been the rector of the Petit Seminaire. It's the minor seminary at Issay in France. It becomes difficult for him. He actually weathers most of the revolution. Uh, but uh, finally he makes his way to America in 1796 which is an interesting story in itself. He had actually escaped from France in 1792, in August of 1792. He made his way from Issay to Bordeaux in disguise. Because okay. if he went as a priest, he'd be killed for sure. Mm -hmm. you know. So he's actually dressed up as a minstrel, carrying a violin case. <laughs> I, I don't know if he played violin or not. Or if there was even one in there. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. But he did make his way to a Bordeaux. Uh -huh. He then was able to get on a ship and go to Spain, and from Spain he then made his way to, to Baltimore. And in Baltimore he spent uh, some of his time basically in instructing blacks in Baltimore and helping to teach them reading and writing. And not, he has to learn English in order to do that, you know. Mm -hmm. And then he 
catches the eye of Bishop Carroll, who's very impressed with him, and in 1796 makes him the president of Georgetown Academy. He was there for almost two years. It did not work out well. Okay. He had a conflict with most of the faculty members, and a lot of it has to just do with style and vision. The faculty are all Americans. They're American ex-Jesuits. Okay. They've formed together a corporation called the Maryland Chapter of Clergy. That's how they're able to continue living in community together. Mm -hmm. And they have their own idea of what they want Georgetown to be. Du Bourg is a Sulpician. Mm -hmm. He has his own idea. He's also French, Mm -hmm. although he was not born in France. He was actually born in uh, Santo Domingo in 1766. His family moved back to France when he was two years old. So he had studied philosophy and classics in Bordeaux, theology in Paris, and so his notion of of running a school was very different, and so it didn't work out. Then he returns back to Baltimore, having left America entirely. He actually went down to Cuba, where he tried to set up a school in Havana, but the clergy were upset with him down there because he was going to be drawing students away from their own schools, so they sent him back up to Baltimore. He gets back up to Baltimore. He then is the head of St. Mary's Seminary, the Sulpician Seminary there, and finds time to assist a young American woman who is founding a religious order. Her name is Elizabeth Ann Seton, and she's founding the Sisters of Charity in 1809. He helps with that and also helps to establish the Mother House in Emmitsburg in 1811. So Bishop Carroll is really impressed with this William de Bourg and keeps him in mind, keeps him thinking about other things for him. While de Bourg is there in, in Baltimore and Carroll is reaping the riches of <laughs> all of this, what happens over in France is that France now stabilizes under Napoleon. And Father Emery is thinking he'd like to have some of those Sulpicians back. <laughs> <you know? laughs> At one point, Bishop Carroll is concerned about the success that St. Mary's is having, and again, he's starting to fear for Georgetown, and so he then takes Father de Bourg, and he wants to send him to either New York or to Charleston, basically to get him away from the Georgetown area because he's having so much success. Father Emery finds out about this, sends off a nasty letter to Bishop Carroll, and said, you know, stop playing around with my Sulpicians mm-hmm. here, and if you keep this up, we're going to send everybody back to France. Well, uh, Bishop Carroll writes him a letter and, and basically said, if you bring all of your Sulpicians back to France, then nothing will have been accomplished by those Sulpicians being here in America. It'll be at a total waste, and it'll be on your head. And so there's this exchange that happens between the two. I'd like to read... Father Emery's letter back to Bishop Carroll. Okay. Okay. This comes from Dr. Christopher Kaufman's book, Tradition and Transformation in Catholic Culture, The Priests of Sensual Peace in the United States. Dr. Kaufman taught at St. Louis University. He was actually one of my professors there. And not only that, before he got his doctorate, he taught at Mercy High School and was one of my teachers. He's also not only the official historian of the Sulpicians in America, but also the Alexian brothers 
and also wrote the definitive history of the Knights of Columbus. So anyway, he includes <laughs> this response back to Bishop Carroll. I think it's important for us to keep this in mind because not everything is la-la land. You know, right. Even amongst leaders, there are sometimes when they don't get along with each other. That's just the reality. Sure. Everybody, everybody's different. Yeah. And so here Father Emery writes back, and he says this, I come to the root of the matter. Surely it is the whole course of the French Revolution. There has been nothing like that which we did for you and your diocese. A small society like ours, in fact the smallest of societies, makes you the offer of establishing a seminary in your new diocese. It sent considerable numbers of subjects and even added seminarians to which to start the exercises at once. It sends these at its own expense. It undertakes to support its subjects, and in fact, it has always supported them since. It sacrifices for this establishment the greater part of its savings and gives nearly a 100,000 francs. What is the result of all of this? At the end of 10 years, we are no farther advanced than we were in the first days. There is no question at the moment of abandoning the seminary of Baltimore since, in fact, it never existed. The only question of abandoning the project of the seminary. It has been promised from time to time to send subjects there. This was pictured as a favor and a grace, but it was never accomplished. In other words, you didn't send any of your seminarians to, uh, to, to our seminary. And obstacles have arisen, which they ought to have been the least expected. You tell me, my lord, that the society will have left nothing other than a monument, other than a college. I hope that you would hold as something all the services which its members have rendered to you during this time and space of ten years. If there are any complaints to be made, it seems to me that I have the right to make them, since at the end of ten years' stay, at the very many promises we have nothing done and nothing possible to do of all the objects we have in mind when we entered your diocese. However, my Lord, I am far from imputing blame to you. We know that you have not been the master of the situation, and we shall live always very grateful for your goodness for which you've shown us. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's a left-handed compliment. Yes, you know, it is. You're not the master of your own situation. Well, he wasn't. It, mm -hmm. Things were very chaotic in, in America. In fact, in 1803, Father Emery did bring three Sulpicians back to France. Bishop Carroll complained about that. In the end, Father de Bourg's little French Catholic college did flourish. Eventually, 125 students were there. It did no harm to Georgetown, despite what the bishop was afraid of. When the pope, this was Pope Pius VII, found out about all of this, he said the following. He said, my son, let it remain. Yes, let that seminary exist, for it will bear its fruit in time. Recalling the directors to employ them at another houses in France would be like robbing Peter to pay Paul. The, the Pope was right. Mm -hmm. By 1810, St. Mary's Seminary was going to bring about the ordination of 23 men serving Bishop Carroll's diocese. Wow. 
Now, that's a huge number when you consider. And then even some of them are going to stay on to become the theological advisors to the Bishop of Baltimore. So it's going to have a, a huge and, and positive effect. Certainly. You know? 23 men with it back to how few priests there were yeah. here at the time. Yeah. And I'm, all of Maryland, there are only 19. And, right. <laughs> and most of them are infirmed or elderly. So, right. yeah, definitely. Well, the other thing that's happening is that Bishop Carroll has to become more and more aware. And we'll talk a little bit about the Louisiana Purchase. But he's, his diocese in one day is going to double in size. Exactly. And so he's got this whole thing about the Mississippi and looking out there. And he's truly blessed, again, to have these Sulpicians arriving in his diocese at this particular moment. So despite the spat between Georgetown and St. Mary's, especially the Sulpicians that come out west are going to be incredibly vital to the church. And this is what Father Emery was talking about. Mm-hmm. The first one I'd like to mention is that of uh, Benedict Joseph Flaget. He arrives in the second wave of Sulpicians sent by Father Emery. His ship arrived in Philadelphia in March of 1792. He's sent immediately to Vincennes on the Wabash River. And he arrives there just before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And what he finds is terrible. It's enough that you want to just turn around and go back home. Vincennes had been named after a layman, Jean-Baptiste Vincennes, who had given his life along with uh, a priest companion, Father Senat. This goes back to the earlier 1700s, you might uh-huh. remember. The two of them had been captured by the uh, Chickasaw Indians, yes. and they had been burned to death. You remember that, that Father Senat was offered the opportunity to leave, but he would not leave the other prisoners. And so he and, and Vincennes and others were burned to death. And so the town of Vincennes is named after this wonderful layman. But uh, the religious character of Vincennes was entirely lost when Father Jabot left. Remember, he had to leave and, and, and go ultimately to New Madrid. Oh, right. Right. Mm-hmm. And when he left, um, the, the church just began to collapse. It, it's interesting to see how what happens in Vincennes happens there as opposed to what happens in Cahokia. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. What happened is that when Father Flaget arrives there in Vincennes, he finds that the Indians who had been living in this area had reverted. They had been baptized. They had been catechized. They end up reverting back to their old religions. Also, the French Creoles who had married into the Indians, they lost their faith, and they had come to uh, revert back to these Indian customs also. And so he found not much by way of, of Catholicism remaining. The church that, that Father Jabot left behind was a log church. Log cabins really don't last long if they're not kept up. And that was what happened with mm-hmm. uh, this, this church. It had been abandoned for a number of years, and so it became dilapidated. And so when Father Flaget arrived, he had this dilapidated log cabin. He had a crude altar was able to pull together some of the stuff he had brought with him, en- enough to be able to say Christmas Mass. You know, when I think about you know, every time I go to Paris, I always go to Saint-Sulpice. Mm-hmm. It's just a beautiful church, and I make a little pilgrimage there because that's <laughs> where St. Jean-Baptiste de La Salle got his education. Just a gorgeous church. And I remember the last time I was there, I was with some people and were admiring this beautiful 
Baroque church, and then all of a sudden somebody fired up the organ. One of the great organs of the world is right there. And I'm thinking to myself, it's Father Flechet, just months <laughs> earlier, went from that to, to this. To a falling down log yeah. cabin church. Oh, Lord. Well, so he holds Christmas Mass, and he writes back and says that it was a bust, that only 12 people went to communion, and the vast majority of them that got into this old church, they just stood there and gawked. Like as if they didn't know what was going on. What they were supposed to do. Yeah. Oh, it's just terrible. But he's not going to give up. Mm -hmm. What he does instead is he begins repairing the little church. He invites the children to come and and farms a little school for them. That often happens. That's the way to evangelizing families is through these children. And so he begins a school for the children. They love it. He built some looms and began having the women of Vincennes come in and he taught them how to weave mm -hmm. in order to make some money so that they would be able to bring themselves out of the doldrums of Vincennes was a very poor village it was going nowhere he encourages agriculture and they begin planting crops later on things are coming along as he goes into that first winter and spring smallpox attacks the village and he finds himself nursing people, burying the dead. But the people are starting to come back as a result of, of his actions. More Sulpicians begin to arrive. And the interesting thing is they're arriving at government expense. The President of the United States, George Washington, had recommended to Congress that it would be expedient to send ministers of the gospel out to the West in order to work with the Native Americans there and to persuade them to work more closely with whites. And his point was that it's cheaper than building forts and sending soldiers. Mm -hmm. And it really was cheap. <laughs> the government was cheap. Uh -huh. They were pensioning these priests at $200 a year, which is <laughs> not much even back then. So Father Reve. Uh, arrives, uh, having been sent by Bishop Carroll. Uh, he's got this stipend for $200 a year. He sets up a mission not too far from Vincennes called St. Francis Xavier Mission. Another priest arrives. This is Father Pierre Janine, and he goes to, he's sent to Kiskaskia, and the same arrangement is there. Uh, but unfortunately, the federal government never sends the stipend. No. So he doesn't get any money. Especially cheap. Yes. And then he falls on the, the mercy and the charity of the French Creole, okay. who have never been used to paying for a priest. They always, the government's always done that. And so they refuse to pay him. Mm. They refuse to support him. And eventually, Father Janine has to leave Kaskaskia, come over to St. Louis, and then act as a, a chaplain for the Spanish, and the Spanish then will pay uh, something for them. Okay. He writes back to his superiors and, and says this in one of his letters. He says, one great drawback is that I am still without means, having no interpreter of my own, not knowing the language, having no opportunity to learn it, and being scarcely able to vegetate with the meager salary given me by the United States. We have not even received a cent from the first quarter of that salary now being in the fourth the governor tells us that we've been forgotten and so it's just you know he had to do what he could 
uh, with that. He mentions also that a few of the Creoles even had anything to do with him. He estimated that there were about 350 Creoles in Kaskaskia at the time. Only 42 of them were involved with penance or going to communion. But it's a beginning. Right. And he begins working especially with the Native Americans, with the Potawatomi, the Miami, the Shawnee, the Sioux, the Kaskaskias, bringing them back to the faith. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So next time around, we'll take a look at the difficulties in the in the West and how these guys are surviving, having left the City of Lights, uh, living the beauty in Paris, and, the, yeah, yeah. And, and coming to this, but not giving up. This is what they've been called to do. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, where would we be without our priests? Well, we see. We see what happens when we don't have, <laughs> yeah, right. we don't have our priests. Wow, another great show, Father. Thank you so yeah, much. Certainly. We close today. Okay. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, much, Certainly. Senior. We hope you enjoyed the program, and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.